And welcome into Dog Central on a Thursday night. I am Graham Coffey. That is John Tweet Sports. We are both uh, fresh back and at least maybe partially recovered uh, <laughs> from our trips to Los Angeles. I never want to recover, Graham. I never want to. Never, recover. yeah, yeah. Never gra- <laughs> like 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 Stetson Bennett. We're never going to graduate from no. the 2022 national championship trip uh that actually happened in 2023 um yeah man i mean 65 to 7 the most emphatic football championship i think in college or the nfl uh mm-hmm. I, I saw somebody say something about the bears winning like a super bowl or no an nfl championship 73 nothing in the 1930s maybe but uh definitely in the modern era of uh you know professional and college football we we've never seen anything like what georgia did the other mm-hmm. night in los angeles uh you were there as was i but uh you know what was your what was your reaction and feeling and thoughts as like all of this started to unfold well you know i think as your these games right i mean i think coming off of the ohio state game um not knowing what to expect and seeing Georgia's offense just come out firing on all cylinders. It what 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 we saw was I think the game that Georgia fans have been waiting on for years, right? Um Georgia's defense has been dominant for um very extremely dominant the last couple of years. Um and uh Georgia's offense, you know, everybody you you kind of have seen these um hints of what the possibilities could be um saw it last year um or sorry in 2020 versus no that was last year saw it last year versus Vanderbilt saw it a little bit this year where you had you know 42 to 10 versus Auburn you see kind of these just really explosive uh games but nothing like we saw in the national championship and what's so wild is just it was the national championship like it was, it was the top. It was the top. You know, two teams. Um, sorry, Alabama. It was the top two teams uh, through the college football playoff. It was the national championship, and yes. um, and to see the offense in particular hit that gear, the gear that I think some of us that have watched film knew was possible, but never uh, that has. It's interesting because some of us who have watched film knew what happened in the Natty was possible. Some of us that watch film didn't know that Kirby Smart would ever do it, right? So it's like those two things. Yeah. It's like you, you have seen that it's possible. It's like when will Kirby actually do it? And to do it in the national championship was just – it was just incredible. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of been like the running joke on Dog Central mm-hmm. throughout the year, right? Like the the Todd Monk and Long Con mm-hmm. – was yeah. a term that that I kind of coined in one of my yeah. 12 takeaway pieces early in the season. Yeah. And it was, you know, the, the point was just like this dude, you know, he throws out a couple play calls a game that are really special. And then he goes very, very vanilla and base. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is not showing what you have on tape and not, you know, mm-hmm. burning plays kind of uselessly. Uh, that you don't need to burn to win a football game. But I think the thing that is really interesting to look back at, and I I don't want to like, I don't want to sit here and act like, you know, Georgia could have won every game by 70 points. Cause that's not true. And that's not what we're trying to say, but like there were games like that Kentucky game, for example, where, you know, it was, it was very clear that like Georgia just come off performance against Mississippi state where they did not run the ball well. And Mm -hmm. Georgia needed to figure that out. And I think, you know, Kirby Smart, one thing we've known about him throughout his tenure in Athens, like when his team can't run the ball, Mm -hmm. it freaks him out. And Todd Monken at at CFP Media Days, like I I stood right in front of him and he was like, if, you know, you have to be able to run the ball to control a football game. And like Georgia was not very consistent as a run blocking unit up front for – a lot of the season, especially early on. And I think like there were some purposeful things that happened throughout the year to kind of perfect that and practice it and to do it against a team like Kentucky that is physical and that could provide a challenge in that, you know? Um, yeah. 
you know, even against a, a nine man box in the fourth quarter. Right. Like, and I think there was times where that made Georgia fans want to like pull their hair out, but uh, perhaps more than any football coach that I can think of in recent memory, like Kirby smart really does, you know, it's, it's almost comical to say like, there's times where he uses sec games as like a glorified practice. Right. Like, and, yeah. and you know, at least sections of them. And there is a very big picture there. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's this kind of twisting of the knobs, right. To keep his team mm-hmm. from being too high or too low. And I thought like, not just the game plan being open on Saturday or I'm sorry, on Monday night, I keep forgetting mm-hmm. to say Monday night. Uh, but it needs to be on Saturday. That's another conversation. It should be on Saturday. Yeah, you had a good tweet about that. Um, but also, you know, like he had that team in the perfect spot where it was, yeah. you know, there is a, a very solid internal belief that we are capable of coming out and winning this game. But also this, you know, this chip on the shoulder and this mm-hmm. this idea that we have something to prove and that we – we, we need to come out and prove that in an emphatic manner. And so much of college football coaching is being able to, you know, kind of psychologically read and psychologically steer 18 to 22 year old or 25 year old uh, kids. Right. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that's where like Kirby, you know, is, is maybe, separated Georgia in in a pretty significant way right now is that Mm -hmm. with this NIL era and portal era, I think there's a lot of coaches that maybe don't feel quite comfortable, like pushing guys the way that they used to. And Georgia's done a really good job of not just pushing them, but also evaluating from a kind of personality standpoint and making sure the guys Mm -hmm. in the program are going to be coachable because that's the key. Well, what you saw on Monday was Georgia has a distinct advantage that not very many programs have. Um, I don't even know that Alabama has it in some areas anymore. Georgia has depth and like, like deep, deep depth. And when you have the depth that Georgia has, you have one clear advantage, which is you can hit in practice. You can you can play you can practice with the intensity that you play a game, and not many programs. I don't think people realize like not many programs can do that. And so, not only to Kirby, what Kirby Smart has built is a program that has depth where you can do that, but he has the courage to actually do that as well to actually challenge players in practice to make them hit in practice to have super intense practices the week uh before a national championship game to to be you know to to have um this week leading up to the national championship game gunner stockton um kirby smart said in his press conference that gunner stockton uh took the contact the no contact jersey off so he could play max duggan and take hits and, you know, and when you're in that, when you're in, at that level of a program in the NIL, in the, you know, I think, you know, um, this is a, it, it's definitely a player's game in many, many ways now with uh, the transfer portal, with NIL, with all these things, players have a lot of choices. And I love that. But Kirby Smart has built a team on depth, has built a team where you can challenge players, where they can hit in practice, where, um all of those things can manifest themselves into what you see versus a TCU, right? Um, and, you know, the Ohio State game, it's really – it's interesting because Ohio State, um, I think what you saw there was uh, was a little bit of probably what Kirby Smart has feared, <laughs> probably the reason that you run the ball 46 times versus Kentucky is because you know you're going to get into a um, situation where – you you're going to have some athleticism. You're going to have some talent that, that can run with you for a little while. And, um, but that's what Georgia has. I think that no, that no other program, most other programs don't have is the depth to be able to practice with that intensity. And because you have depth, you can do things in games like run the ball 46 times (laughs) at Kentucky um, that a lot of teams can't do. And I think, Fans don't really, you know, it's, it's hard to understand that sometimes when you're seeing, you're like, what's going on with the game plan? Well, sometimes you're right. I don't, 
I don't want to say that Georgia is practicing against teams and games, but there are times that Georgia has depth in certain areas where if Kirby wants to go out there and do this thing, he can just do it. And I think what we saw versus TCU was uh, the culmination of all of that intensity and practice, all of that, you know, um, meetings and knowledge of players, the depth coming into play. You saw Bear Alexander, true freshman, just, you know, eating Max Duggan alive. Like, I mean, Jalen Walker. Yeah, yeah, it's just wild. Like you saw, you know, some very young guys out there, and that's what happens when you build a type of program that Georgia has. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because uh, college football coaches in the offseason, they, you know, visit programs and they go different places. And, like, mm-hmm. the, uh, the the majority of coaches that go and visit Athens are like, it's really cool what they do, but, like, we can't do that we can't run practice no that way where we are we can't no. we can't have contact like that because we would run out of bodies and Georgia's yeah. well recruited enough where like they can mm-hmm. um and i think you know that that last last monday night was kind of the end of an era for a, mm-hmm. a certain era for georgia football right because like mm-hmm. the offensive personnel will change next season and stetson will not be under center anymore and I think that's why you, you know, Stetson even said, I think in the post-game press conference, like there's still a large section of Todd Mockin's playbook that we never mm-hmm. used, but like yeah. we saw a lot more of it than we were used to seeing. And the way that Todd Mockin scripted the opening, you know, dri- couple drives of that game, like coming out and, you know, hitting Bowers twice on the, in the first three plays of the game, right? Like getting him involved with that little slip screen. And then the, the, the long pass to lad on the crossing route uh, that, that put Georgia in field goal range after the turnover, like that was, that was one where, you know, you have uh you have basically kind of a fake action off play action where they're showing that Bauer slip screen into the, the flat again, not quite blocked the same way, but still like if you're a, a linebacker or safety for TCU who just had to try and tackle Brock Bowers one-on-one on a 12 yard gain. Like you have to come down and bite on that. And so I, I look forward to, you know, we will do our, our usual like film review thing and, and rewatch at some point in the next week or two. But like, I really look forward to that because just, you know, sitting down on my couch and kind of rewatching the game on ESPN casually, there's so many nuanced things that, like Monken did early in that game to set up plays later that were explosives. Um, and, you know, the attention that had to be paid to Bowers mm-hmm. after Georgia kind of force fed him on those first three drives, he had four catches, like it, it moved guys around and it creates the, you know, it's, it's part of creating that wide open touchdown for lad. And, and it did mm-hmm. so many things. And I thought within all of that, you know, you were in the stadium. I don't know how clear it was on TV, but like in the stadium, I thought early on throughout the first like 15, 20 minutes of the game, I was like, damn, like Georgia's running a lot of deep routes. Like these receivers are getting gone, you know? And I thought Stetson Bennett was really kind of perfectly measured in between Mm -hmm. aggression and also realizing we're going to have to do some, some major screw ups to lose this game. Um, because I, I liked kind of the balance he was in where he took his shots downfield and he, he fit some balls into tight windows, but like there was some really nice check down throws that he made one in particular to Dejan Edwards early in the game on kind of a, like a sort of a, an out pattern that he ran, um, and hits him in stride and it's a, it's a 12, 14 yard gain. Right. So like, yeah. I thought it was well-managed kind of taking the spots. Yeah. What they were doing. Right. So TCU, we, we heard all week about the three, three, five defense. So TCU comes out running that three, three, five. And the way that you beat a three, three, five is you run verticals. You, you kind of space, (laughs) space the defense out. And then you try to try to get what you can underneath. And, um, and Georgia, you know, I think TCU, what they didn't do is they didn't make, um, many, any, I won't say any. I'm sure they made adjustments. But if you look at the film, they didn't make many adjustments um, in terms of trying to close that middle field gap. And what ended up happening is when they finally 
changed up a little bit that I wouldn't even call it an adjustment, but when they switched, you know, coverages a little bit, then they got beat over the top. It's just, mm-hmm. um, and I think some of that is, you know, Georgia, it's just the, it's just the personnel, right? When you have Brock Bowers, yeah. um, I mean, that middle field, it's like, you're just, you're gonna, you're gonna get eaten alive if you're playing that three, three, five and you can't um, cover and you can't cover Brock Bowers and not many people can cover him. So that's what, that's what I saw. And I think, um, you know, what I did love about it is I loved there, there was a moment where uh, when Georgia got the ball and was up uh, 31 to seven um, right before half, when Georgia got that interception, um, there was a moment where, you know, they got the ball back 32 seconds left in the half. Um, I thought, this is where Kirby's going to wind it down. And when he, yeah. did, when he took, <laughs> when he took those 32 seconds and threw two passes, scored a touchdown. Um, uh, you know, I, I just knew, you just knew what was, what was going to happen. It was just, um, that was the moment for me, at least that I realized like Georgia can name their score tonight. There's nothing TCU can do. And, uh, and Kirby's probably going to go for it go for the jugular yeah and i I think for me uh kind of the the moment that it really hit for me like what was actually happening like this game is over was the the play kind of that set that situation up where you know georgia sacks max max duggan puts puts tcu into third and long and then all of a sudden like bullard absolutely set him up for that interception like begged him to throw that ball gave him you know gave him the spot to bait him to it and if he doesn't trip over his own guy it's pick six but like i thought that was so indicative of just kind of how dominant georgia was on that night is just Uh hey like yeah we just we just knocked in (laughs) you know we just we just knocked in a touchdown to make it 31 7 with minute and a half or whatever it was to go in the half and we we want one more so we're going to get one more we're going to take this ball from you right now and Mm -hmm. um i I think it's easy to like i've seen sort of this revisionist history of everyone like dismissing tcu's presence in that game afterwards And, and did they play well no they didn't play well like but even if they had played their best game they weren't beating Georgia on that night. They weren't staying within probably 30 of Georgia on that night. But I do think like, it's very important to remember they, they did beat Michigan, you know, I mean, they, they had two pick sixes to get to 51 points, but like they still scored what 38 on Michigan. Right. Or, you know, 37 offensively, something like that. Um, And I thought, you know, kind of back to that psychological standpoint we were talking about earlier, like Kirby having Georgia in that spot where they came in the game and, and you know, being at media day was interesting because like all these coaches and players were giving these really detailed answers on the problems that TCU posed from an offensive personnel standpoint, the problems of place, facing that three, three, five, like there was a healthy respect there. And, you know, Michigan came into that same situation, like, we're going to smash this three, three, five and all of that. And I just thought, you know, Georgia really, really handled themselves like, like pros, you know, like they, they kind of approached that game and that situation in this really professional manner. And like they had all year where it's like, we're not going to give them anything. Um, And, you know, the, the three, three, five thing that we were talking about earlier, like, yeah. I don't want to forget to shout out Darnell Washington for Man. for gutting out that ankle injury because what he was doing at the end of the line was so key to Georgia's run game. Um, I had a stat in the in mm-hmm. the twelve takeaways that you know twenty four of Georgia's forty four rushing attempts either went off tackle or off the end of the line with an inline tight end, and they averaged five point two yards a carry on those. But like Georgia's dominance up front. Mm-hmm. was probably from a run standpoint, it was probably the best we'd seen all year. Like I counted one, two, three, four, five, six. I counted nine different gaps that they had a, uh, a 10 plus yard 
rushing yeah. in this game. And that does include like a jet sweep and a Stetson scramble, but that's still seven, yeah. <laughs> seven different spots across the offensive line. So, yeah. um, and, and I will tell you, um, Amarius Mims, man, was incredible. Like yeah. that guy, that's another testament, right? To a guy who actually uh, went into the portal and everybody thought he was going to leave and go to Florida State or whatever in the spring and came back. And he ended up in that game just playing an absolute incredible game up front, especially in the run game. Um, and that's, you know, Kirby Smart talked about it after the game, but you have a lot of guys who um, who were doing things that, you know, Amarius Mims being one who he made the choice a long time ago. He came back. He sat behind Warren McClendon. He, you know, when he got his chances, he made the most of them. And um, and I think you know there there's a lot of guys like that on this team this year that um, I think a lot of a lot of folks it it'll be a long time I think before people really appreciate what a lot of these players did um, playing through injury, playing hurt. Um, Guys on the scout team, Kirby Smart mentioned that multiple times this week. Um, guys who were – Marius Mims could have – he could have been a two-year starter um, at 99% of the programs in America, and he chose to come back and stay. I mean, it's just – it's the culture that Kirby Smart has built, and I think he's he's prioritized culture, prioritized culture fit above everything else – and um, and you saw it. That's what you saw. Sixty-five to seven for me was the culmination of that culture that Kirby Smart has built. It's the culmination of everybody doing their job, everybody uh, you know lining up and gutting it out. Guys who um, have their opportunity, making the most of it. It it was really just it's a beautiful thing. And I think when you have that, that's what you know. People say. All the time, you know, people people say Georgia has all the player, all the five stars, all the book, which, you know, and and that's not even really true. Like a lot of these guys out there were not are not five stars. Right. Javon Bullard, a three star that was very like barely recruited by a lot of power five programs. Um uh, but what that was the most outstanding player of, of the game. Um you know, you, you have a lot of guys out there, but besides that, you know, I think Georgia, Georgia does have players. Georgia does have depth, but what Georgia has is culture. It's the culture of, um, you know, <laughs> Kirby smart said in the pregame when he said, uh, when, when Holly Rose said, what do you, what do you want to see from your defense? And he said, aggression, right? Yeah. I mean, he said like, we, he said, he said, uh, we're going to hunt tonight. And I think, when you have the culture that Georgia's built and you have the things that teams have gone through, you get into a game like this, you can cut them loose. And, uh, and that's what happened on Monday. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, the, um, the curtain calls that happened were kind of mm -hmm. emblematic of that, that culture that you're talking about and, you know, seeing obviously Stetson go off the guy that, you know, really did like, earn his earn his spot in practice yeah. over the years and you know would never take no for an answer and obviously his story is well documented but uh you talk about the four defenders mm -hmm. that went off and i thought it was really interesting two of them are jalen carter and keely ringo who were you know three and out guys yep. that were you know basically five stars top top of their recruiting yep. classes yep. and it was clear from the moment they stepped on campus pretty much that like athletically they're different and they're going to have careers in the NFL. But you talk about Carter, like finding out after the game, right? Like he felt like he was too tired at times against Ohio state. And he spent yeah. the, the 10 days between those games. Like he woke up at 8 a.m. every morning running 100-yard wind sprints. And like, oh. you know how easy it is to say, I'm about to go be a, Multi multi millionaire, yeah, as a top five NFL draft pick. I don't have to do this shit. And I've already, and, and like, I've already, and I've already won a national championship. It's not like you know, it's yeah. not like you haven't had that feeling before. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. And I thought, you know, Ringo, uh, man, like a, a very like up and down season for him. And obviously, like I, I, I've been hard on him at times, right? Like there's been times we did film reviews and talked about, you know, he's not 
quite doing this right. He's not getting his head around or he's not playing the ball. Or he or to he come out and, can't separate his hips from his backbone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Said it like, all, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And to come out and hold Quentin Johnson to one catch for three yards, which came on a pass behind the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Uh and you know, to to only be targeted once in the game, like couldn't be happier for him. And, you know, I, I felt like you talk about a guy that what I know from sources who, you know, talk to me about practices, like that dude has been coached extremely hard mm-hmm. over the last few years and particularly this year because yep. Georgia was so reliant on him and mm-hmm. Kirby rode him very, very hard and, you know, demanded a lot out of him and every mistake that he made was both in practice and games was magnified. Mm-hmm. And like he took the coaching and he also, by doing that, encouraged everyone else to take coaching because when you are, you know, the guys on the team who are surefire first round draft picks yeah, and you're bought in, it's kind of impossible to not be bought in and think you're going to have success if you're a younger guy on the roster or another. Um, yeah. And, you know, and Chris Smith and Robert Beal are kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Like guys that have been in the program five, six years, uh, we're not day one starters. We're not, you know, the, the highest rated guys in their class and, and, you know, really fought and became leaders. And maybe I don't think necessarily were super comfortable in a leadership role, but took those roles on this year because they, they needed that out of them. And, you know, I, I think you look at their journeys and you talk about guys like the, the, the example that's been set for Georgia is like, you know, if you first allow yourself to be accountable, then one day, you know, you're going to be the guy that's holding other guys accountable. And, you know, uh, obviously Nolan Smith getting pushed out on the field. I think that was maybe the best moment of the night. Right. Um, And, you know, I, I I don't know if you caught after the Ohio state game, but like he was crying uh, during that trophy presentation. And it's just like, that's rare, man. Like that's really rare culture and and just rare human beings that will allow themselves to become that invested even when you know they're not the ones on the field yeah well there's a clip that i'll retweet later tonight um from last year um in this college football playoff uh press conferences somebody asked kirby smart about how do you convince these in the age of the portal how do you convince you know these highly rated guys to come and stay at Georgia um, when, you know, they're behind all of these other talented guys, right? Like, how do you convince them? Um, Jalen Carter is a good example of that, where Jalen Carter has played every year since he's been there, but he was he was behind Devontae Wyatt and, uh, and Trayvon Walker and some of those guys at times. And um, what Kirby said is, you know, no NFL scout has ever come to him and said, ask him about year one or two. No NFL scout has ever come to him and asked him like, and talked about how these players played in year one or year two. They all care about year three and four. Um, and so what Kirby has sold these players at Georgia is come and our practices are going to be harder than any game you're going to play in. And you're going to go up against the best of the best in practice and you're going to get developed. And if you can deal with that, if you can handle that, a year or two in, you're going to get your shot. If you can prove yourself exactly what you're saying to, to, to be someone who can stand in the face of accountability, who can stand in the face of all the stuff we're going to throw at you, then, then you'll, you'll get your shot. And if, and if you can't, then maybe George isn't the right place for you. And that's just, uh, it's just, it's so different, man. People just don't, um, you know, like if you if you're not close to this type of program or understand some of these college programs, like it's just so different. Um, and uh, Kirby Smart, you know, the the culmination of it is now he's won back to back national championships. The culmination of it is he just won a national championship by 58. <laughs> and now he can take all of that and recruit for the next, you know, two to three years just on, you know, kind of this this. uh this belief that like you come in and do it like we say you're going to do it and and we're going to win. And, um, and it's just, you know, it's just really uh, something I hope that Georgia fans don't take for granted. Um, Some of us have been around a long time 
and uh, (laughs) have lived through the years of of very good teams. Um, But even the, you know, Mark Rick never had this kind of depth. Mark Rick never had these kind of practices. Mark Rick never uh, pushed, pushed guys the way that Kirby smart does. And, um, and I love coach Rick, but that's the difference between the results that you're seeing now versus what you've seen, you know, the last 20 years at Georgia. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do want to talk about recruiting and looking ahead a little bit before we do, uh, you know, any, any other final kind of thoughts or impressions or just sort of, you know, what was, what was the feeling in the, in your section? Cause I know for me, like there was this point that happened pretty early in the third quarter. I think maybe after that, that first touchdown of the second half, when like it really sunk in what was happening for everybody and it just kind of became like this, like, it felt like we were in this like giant nightclub, honestly, this Georgia themed yeah. nightclub. I mean, SoFi yeah. Stadium is incredible. And like, you know, everybody just was kind of dancing and having fun yeah. and laughing and yucking it up. And um, yeah, yeah, I remember, you know, uh, I was sitting in front of uh, a bunch of the guys from the Future Birds actually mm-hmm. were, were in the row behind me. And like, amazing. Yeah, which I had gone and seen them at the Athens Goes West show the night before. But yeah. Um, one of them, uh, Peyton Bradford, was just like standing there, kind of with this like dumbstruck look on his face, and he was just like, "I'm really happy right now." And I don't think he was talking to anyone in particular. But um, any any kind of impressions of just sort of the the crowd and the vibe from the game? Well, I, I would say the weekend. The what I loved is the weekend in LA felt like it felt like a celebration before the game. Like I think last year's national championship just really uh, did a number for <laughs> for all Georgia fans. Like even, you know, I was at the Peach Bowl um, and uh, and rode that roller coaster all the way to the very end um, when Ohio State missed the field goal. And I thought, I thought it was over. You know, I thought of the, the Peach Bowl when they lined up to kick that field goal. I thought, all right, I'm mentally preparing myself for this season to be over. But even in that moment, I was like, man, we, uh, we, you know, Georgia won a natty. It's not like, you know, it's not, we won one last year. We made the playoff again this year. Teams don't go back to back. And then when that moment happened, I felt like that kind of took the lid off. So the whole weekend, you know, in, in LA, um, we stayed down in Huntington beach. We went down to Laguna beach. We went up to the convention center, to the fan fest. Like we just did the whole thing. Uh, me and my, my brothers. And, uh, and I think, you know, that feeling that you described is the feeling that honestly, I think like pe- people were feeling going into the stadium. <laughs> like yeah. I think the reason it felt like a club in there is because like that um, you, you know, I think, I think just there was a belief that I haven't seen in the Georgia fan base um, ever in my entire life, um, including the, uh, in the peach bowl. Um, there was a belief right. uh, the, in the entire weekend. And I just thought it was, just incredible an incredible moment for the program and for the fans um and uh and uh now craig craig asked me if i took the 405 down uh no we actually we stayed in huntington beach and just took the pacific coast highway down to laguna that's the Uh, one like yeah i think yeah took the one took the one down to laguna i think i think i paid like 60 bucks for some pancakes and omelet and uh some eggs benedict and a coffee I think it was like the most expensive. I think we had like, you know, I don't know. It was the most expensive breakfast I've had in maybe 10 years. Um, but uh, beautiful, beautiful part of the country. But yeah, celebration the entire weekend. Just a big, big party. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it was, it definitely uh, had that vibe kind of like mm-hmm. the pressure's off no matter what. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. but the, the the no matter what the what of that ended up being sixty five to seven so pretty good yeah. way to be um all right let's look forward a little bit so uh got some questions about kind of portal stuff and all of that that are probably worth addressing um I've posted some stuff on Dog Central kind of pretty in depth of of what we've what I've heard so far um you know. People are asking a lot about uh, Jay. Uh, I'm sorry, not Jalen Walker. Uh, Julian Humphrey. Uh, Julian and Humphrey. Sort of what's, yeah. what's going on there? Uh, I, you know, Jaheim Singletary obviously hit the portal today. Who a guy that was one of the top, 
I think five mm-hmm. DBs in the 2022 mm-hmm. class uh, nationally, you know, five-star player, really talented guy. Um, the reality is with Lassiter coming back and Dalen Everett, uh, I mean, Dalen Everett was like playing so well in practice this year that like Georgia wanted to find a way to put him on the field. There just wasn't anywhere to put him. Like yeah, point being put- AJ Harris. Yeah. Dalen played, Dalen played early. He just, uh, you know, he played in some of those early games in the year and then um, uh, just got to a point where Georgia needed, you know, experience out there, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, he's definitely, you know, Mm -hmm. in line, you still have Nyland green on the roster. Interested to see what happens with him. But um, Humphrey, I think is a guy who uh, Georgia, I think is very, you know, hopeful to keep just because, Mm -hmm. Um, they have a lot of boundary corners. I don't know they have quite as many bodies that fit in at safety right now. You you have Aguero coming in, and, and he's going to be a, a guy that, you know, pushes for snaps from day one. But Humphrey is a talented kid, and, you know, there's been the – I guess he, you know, tweeted something like, know your worth, and maybe took some Georgia stuff off of his Instagram. He might transfer, but as of tonight, like, no one that I know has said that he's – told Georgia's coaching staff that he is going to transfer. So we'll see what happens. But I, I think there's a little bit of this yeah. misconception there that, you know, I don't know, maybe there's a rift or whatever. And I, I don't think that's entirely true. Um, there's going to be guys that leave like Georgia. is just going to, mm-hmm. uh, they have to, right? Like you've brought in yep. two wide receivers. Um, I think mm-hmm. we'll probably see Jackson Meeks leave, you know, like I think there's going to be guys that, that move on. But there's also going to be a lot that stay. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess, is there anyone else that we should talk about from a, a potential portal leaving standpoint before we, we chat a little bit about like 2023 roster and some of the recruiting that's going on? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I don't, I don't love getting into um, portal like rumor mill. Like I think, sure. you know, there's obvious like, Julian Humphrey is a good example of of a guy we should talk about because he tweeted something weird and took stuff off of his Instagram, and we can we can talk about that. I think for me, I think there are there are guys who are going to um, who are going to hit the portal that that when you think about it, it's it it just comes down to a depth and a and a playing issue, right? the The DB room is a good example where um, you have. Dalen Everett, you have Kamari Lassiter, you have Javon Bullard, you have Balakai Starks, you have, you know, a lot of guys there that you're probably going to lose some folks in that room just from the consequence of you got really good players and you got really good players that are coming back and that it's you you've had a chance a year or two in some cases to try to beat out these guys and you just haven't been able to do it. And at some point, you know, I think you look at you look at um you know, you look at a guy like not to start any rumors, but you look at a guy like Nylon Green, where what I loved about Nylon Green is you watch him play on special teams. If you watched him play on special teams in the Peach Bowl and in the Natty, that guy was going all out. He's given it all for Georgia in those special teams. But at some point, he's the kind of guy that's talented enough that if you, you know, if you go through spring or if you are there now and you're having conversations and it doesn't seem like it's going to go your way. There are guys. There are a lot of guys like that that I think um, Georgia fans, you know, should should mentally prepare for. Just guys that are good enough to go play somewhere and um, and have and have not guys who have come in have given it a little shot. It didn't work out. They're going to go somewhere and bounce. There's there are a couple of players that have really worked hard and just haven't been able to uh, to crack that um, that you know amount of playing time that they really it's hard it's hard to play like, Georgia. it's hard it's hard um, it's hard so i think the db room place um wide receivers obviously you can't take you can't take the top two wide receivers out of the transfer portal and and just keep status quo um right and uh and, and especially with the tight ends coming in and with brock bowers staying and you know I, I i'm not gonna be surprised to see a few tight ends leave but um i think the 2023 roster no matter who leaves, what's ama- what's incredible with the position that Georgia is in is that no matter who leave who leaves this, you've got 
other people there. Um, it's just going to come down to, at this point, it's really about depth and experience. And can you find a way, especially you mentioned safety, like you, you got to find a way at some of these roles to, to keep guys around that even if they haven't played that much yet, they have the experience in the program. They have the experience uh, providing depth in these games. And those are the guys that you got to try to keep, I think, um, if you can. Yeah, and I thought, you know, um, A, is very interesting to see. Kirby Smart has kind of gone through this philosophical change where um, it used to be, you know, the starters would come out, mm -hmm. but the the backups, particularly on offense, wouldn't necessarily get to run the offense. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. they might just run the ball into a nine-man box, but there wasn't mm – -hmm. like Carson Beck is – taken a lot of snaps this year. Like he's played mm -hmm. a lot of football this season and mm -hmm. has done it. You know, he played in Atlanta against Oregon. You know, he played in a national championship game. Like that is extremely valuable experience. Um, I think right now it is fair to assume that he has the inside track on being the starter in 2023, mm -hmm. but there's a lot that could still play out there. Um, you know, I, think that I know for a fact the staff really loves Gunnar Stockton and and he's going to yeah. push and, and competition is going to be good for all those guys but mm -hmm. what's really interesting about Georgia and I think what probably uh allows like what makes a three three peat I guess possible for Georgia is the fact that like what Georgia's doing right now is not quarterback dependent that's not Correct. to take away from Stetson Bennett and what he did because he was really really great and he definitely – I think this was probably the best Georgia offense we've we've seen maybe ever. If not, it was number two behind maybe the 2014 or 2013 offense. I forget which which year it was where they yeah. led the country in yards per play. But um, point being, like, what is really going on is Georgia's beating people to sleep at the line of scrimmage. Correct. And, you know, you you referenced Bear Alexander and Warren Brinson. Uh, you got Jalen Walker, you know, coming in. I think he had four pressures and six pass rush opportunities, and one of yeah. those four pressures was a sack. That's an absurd yeah. uh, productivity sure. from anyone, particularly a true freshman. Like, you know, he could be kind of your, your Robert Beal type maybe next year, that Jack linebacker. Um, but, like, there's – there's a chance, honestly, like this, looking at this roster and how it sets up, it almost feels like this was the year to get Georgia and Georgia just mm -hmm. won a national title game by 58. Yeah. I mean, Georgia, Georgia allowed nine sacks in 15 games on the other side of the ball. So like that line of scrimmage, like it is. Yes, yeah. I agree. It's it, it, that's how Georgia, that's the foundation of this program. And that's the difference. The reason that, that USC needs Caleb Williams to be healthy and be able to be mobile and to be able to make plays happen is because USC doesn't have the line of scrimmage to actually, uh, you know, be able to run the offense at a pace that um, that another quarterback with lesser skills, you know, could actually. Uh, get out there and play. So you got to have a guy who's Heisman caliber uh, to be able to make that work. And you still end up in a situation where you play, you know, Utah and you lose twice. And, you know, it's just like at the end of the day, that's where Georgia's Georgia's advantage is on the line of scrimmage and that offensive line. I think um, people, you know, I think Georgia's going to lose uh, some very good, very experienced guys off that offensive line. Uh, but the guys behind them, are guys like Amarius Mims, right? I mean, it's like who it's might not, be the most tar yeah. the most talented of all. Correct, right? And that's the thing. It's like you know, Georgia Georgia allowed nine sacks in uh, in fifteen games, which is just again, just I don't I don't think people realize just how absolutely absurd um, that is. Like you know, last year Army allowed led led the nation in sacks allowed in sacks allowed. Uh, with seven and army threw the ball about two times a game. Um, and so they had seven sacks in like 13 games. They threw it like, you know, whatever, eight times a game or 10 times a game or something. So, and they still had seven sacks. And so like, it's just, it's just, um, 
again, I think th- that line of scrimmage exactly, and especially on the defensive side of the ball, like when you can get pressure from in the interior of your defense, um, man, every team you play is going to have a hard time unless they have a Bryce Young or a Caleb Williams or somebody who can get off that spot and make plays. And there are – And even then it's very, still really hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's C.J. Stroud, right? Like what C.J. Stroud did, like you have to have a guy play the game of his life, and they still didn't win the game because Georgia's offensive line was so good. <laughs> like like you just – you know, at the end of the day, it's just – um there, that's that's where Kirby um, has out recruited and out and where you know God bless Stacy Searles who I wasn't high on the hire yeah. I wasn't higher on him high on him at the beginning of the year wasn't high on him at the Missouri game um, and then all of a sudden it was like wait a second <laughs> like that you know second half of of Mizzou and like going on you know as the as the season progressed you realize like holy cow like this offensive line is is legit and um Mm -hmm. and when you can do that when you can hire a new offensive line coach and you can just plug him in and you get the results that georgia got that speaks so much to the depth and the talent that you build on that line of scrimmage and um and that's that's the difference that's the difference it's the difference between there's a lot of differences between a coach like lincoln riley and kirby smart but the but the main difference in all these programs in Georgia is the offensive and defensive line of scrimmage. It's the main difference because you start there, and if and if you can line up and and win both of those sides, then the rest of it is going to be. Um, it's not easy at all, but the rest yeah. it makes the rest of it a lot easier when you line up and do that. Well, and what's really wild, you know, uh, this Georgia offensive line was an elite pass protection unit from the word go in 2022. But like we referenced earlier, like they did struggle to run the ball, especially in zone blocking schemes for a lot of the, the early part of the season. And I'm glad you shouted, you shouted out Stacey Searles. I thrown him in one of my, my 12 takeaways. Cause like, you're right, dude. Like a lot of people trash that higher. I, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, that I trashed it, but I definitely was like, it's, you know, it, it, on paper, it, it's maybe not the the best possible scenario I could come up with. Right. Yeah. And yeah. like, dude, he came in and I think that, uh, not, I not think I know for a fact that like, there was kind of, you know, it, it, there was an adjustment period with those players and him having to feel each other out and learn one another's personalities and, understand you know how to how to push on each other and work with each other and he figured that out and those kids really 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 like him and there were things that like i have not heard any of the things about kind of you know personality conflicts uh in georgia's offensive line room that that you know maybe were topics of conversation this time last year that had people wondering if certain guys might leave the program Yep. And and that's not a discredit necessarily to Matt Luke, but it's just to say, like, it is a credit to Stacey Searles kind of coming into something that was already working and coming into a program and, you know, saying, like, I'm going to be the one that makes sure that I fit instead of trying to make everyone around me change Ab- to fit myself. Absolutely. North Carolina, Stacey Searles was offensive line coach at North Carolina last year. North Carolina allowed 49 sacks. They were 128th out of 130 teams in sacks allowed last year. Comes to Georgia, Georgia allows nine sacks in 15 games. The two keys to that were the players that Georgia had and Stacey Searles leaning into the culture and building trust with those players and building trust with Todd Munkin and the offensive staff and really him doing the work um, – is the testament to to that. Obviously, the talent was there, but like th- that's the difference. I mean, you know, and that's that's also the the difference, you know, in Georgia's program, right? I mean, you went 49 sacks in 13 games last year. You come to Georgia, nine sacks in 15 games. I mean, that's the that's the yeah. to me the uh the best, you know, kind of stats. Recruiting matters. Oh, it matters. <laughs> the line of scrimmage matters big yeah. time. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I right. think, you know, the the other thing that 
as we talk about 2023, you know, kind of, um, what you get back on the offensive line is is, is going to be more than enough, especially with, you know, this yeah. schedule for Georgia in the early season. There's going to be a lot of time to learn on the job, so to speak, mm-hmm. for some of these guys. But uh, Georgia's defense, I think, will be better next year than it was this year. Um, I agree. I, I, I don't feel like that's a outlandish statement. Nope. Um, they were still really, really, really good this year, but – you know, bringing back Bullard and Lassiter is huge. Obviously, Malachi Starks is, you know, mm-hmm. he's an NFL player playing safety in college. Um, <laughs> but I, I look at, yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. the thing that, you know, I look back on is the, the last drive against Ohio State. And for much mm-hmm. of that fourth quarter, Georgia had four true freshmen on the field. You yep. know, they had they had Walker out there. They had Marvin Jones Jr., um, they had Starks, obviously like, mm-hmm. like these young guys are very good. They had, you know, Bear Alexander, we were talking about earlier, like, and, and I do think there's still, you know, the, the talent of some of these, you know, like Warren Brinson has been in the program a long time and mm-hmm. maybe kind of had his coming out party in the national championship game at the end of what I think is maybe his third season in Athens, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So you couple all of that with the fact that um, – and this is a little more speculative, but, like, you have Jamal Jarrett that is mm-hmm. en- enrolled early, and you're mm-hmm. talking about a, a 6'6", 350, 360-pound unicorn of a human being that is the closest thing we've seen to Jordan Davis on the recruiting trail since Jordan Davis probably. Um, mm-hmm. That – is really interesting because if he is able to give you even just 15 to 20 snaps a game as a true nose tackle, as a true zero technique guy, then all of a sudden you have Smile Mondin and Dumas Johnson, who are already probably the best linebacker pair in the SEC from an inside linebacker yeah. standpoint. Yeah. But like those guys scraping off of that big boy coming into, you know, pressure packages and, yeah. uh, to, to, to fill lanes in the run game, like just there's a lot of exciting things on the table for Georgia's defense in 2023 yeah. that from a personnel standpoint, maybe they couldn't quite do in 2022. Yeah. I mean, think about this. So think about this lineup, right? Michael Williams, Bear Alexander, Marvin Jones Jr., Small Munden, Jamon Dumas Johnson, Malachi Starks. Uh, you got, uh, Kamari Laster, Javon Bullard, you got Dalen Everett, you got Ja'Cory Thomas, who's also going to be really good. Like, um, I, I just, yeah, it's at the end of the day, I think um, I agree with you. I think Georgia, I think this, what's scary, and and I, I'm being objective when I say this, even though I'm a huge Georgia homer, what's scary is that this was Georgia's defensive rebuilding year. This is where Georgia had – Multiple true freshmen on the field. It's where Georgia had two new um, middle linebackers getting their first uh, their first starts um, to quarterback the the defense. Um, and uh, and you saw you saw what happened, right? I think um, I think Chris Smith played a huge role this year as kind of bringing Absolutely. that leadership. Nolan Smith, obviously, Jalen Carter, obviously, um, Keely Ringo, you know, did did his job, but. At the end of the day, this was the year where you had the guys who um, really quarterback the defense, Small Mondin and, and Jamon Dumas Johnson. This was their their first year really running the show. And so that's only going to get better. And then you're surrounded by all these guys that now have all this playing time. Plus, you have Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann have shown they're not afraid to put some of these guys coming in in as true freshmen. If they can get, you know, if they can. If they can get uh, in conditioning, really is the main thing. If they can get in shape and they they can understand, um, if you're in the secondary, it's a little bit more difficult. But if you can understand the 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 stunts and the blitz packages when you're in the front seven, like you're going to play at Georgia if you're good. Um, oh yeah. And so then there's a lot of good guys coming in um, to this to this 2023 class. So it's, uh, look out. I'm you know I I fear for uh, the rest of the SEC <laughs> when it comes to. Georgia, I you know who I really fear for is this like 
terrible non-conference schedule, you know, poor ball state and some of these guys, <laughs> it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be tough, rough, man. man. It's just going to be tough with this Georgia defense. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it might not be the last 65 to seven game we see for yep. a little while. Correct. Um, yeah. So before we, before we wrap up, uh, I do think it's worth mentioning uh, and you've kind of alluded mm-hmm. to this in some of your comments already, but just like, Hey guys, uh, you know, Kirby Smart had already recruited, I think, five or six straight top three classes nationally. And now he's going to go hit the trail with a, a second national title ring that happened in back to back fashion for the first time in the college football playoff era. Um, I think there's a very, very high probability that this 2024 recruiting class ends up being. Uh, not just the best that we've seen at Georgia ever, but maybe historically good. You know, it, it probably has a chance to make a run at that 2022 uh, Texas A&M class that which has now, you know, disintegrated. Which, what, yeah, what happened What happened to the 22 Texas A&M class? What, the- they were scattered into the wind. <laughs> God, they got jimboed, man. The, the, the highest rated class of all time. Uh, 20 Texas A&M has, I think they're at 27 players that hit the transfer portal or something like that. It's wild, but not to, not to just, not to go on a tangent and, and ruin your point, but you're right. Like Kirby Smart is time for that this off season. Kirby Smart is Kirby Smart is recruiting with back-to-back national championship rings. He's recruiting with 15 players drafted last year. And I would say there's going to be probably, 12 to 13 drafted this year um he's recruiting with uh with you know video of matthew stafford and all these guys you know at at the at the national championship game um and uh and he's also recruiting with you know this staff that he has in place right i mean it's like yeah i i think you know people um Georgia may have some staff changes that's still to be determined. You know, this will be the, you have the celebration this weekend. You have a lot of openings in the NFL and in college football. And so you never know really what's going to happen, but, but when you're looking at uh, this staff as it is right now, if the nucleus of this staff stays together, I mean, you're, you're for these, for the elite players that are left out there in this 2023 class, um, and especially in the 2024 class, but we'll talk 2023 right now. In this class, it's there's no better place to be developed than Georgia right now, and that includes Alabama. I mean, I know you know, I know no, Pete it does. Golding, I know Pete Golding and Bill O'Brien are you know savants, and uh, no Alabama fan wants them gone, um, but. Uh, <laughs> But Georgia is the place if you're going to be recruited as an, you're going to be developed as an elite player. Um, so I, I agree. I think this class is going to um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of eyeballs popping um, when this thing is all said and done. I think a lot of people yeah, are, dude. are going to be shocked at what Kirby's going I to pull. Mean, yeah, and I think, you know, we were talking earlier about that 12 personnel uh, being mm-hmm. such a big deal against this three three five, but I think I think everything that Georgia's offense did this year and, and a lot of the success it had was due to the personnel conundrums that the two tight end sets created for defenses. And um, I don't think those are going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, Oscar Delp is obviously waiting in the wings, but like you know, Georgia Georgia might sign four tight ends in this recruiting class. You already yeah. Have- yeah, awesome, lucky and Pierce Sperlin with their their letter signed, and I think both have enrolled. If I'm not mistaken, they have. Yeah, they have. Yeah, um, yeah but really yeah, Deuce Robinson is the number one tight end in the country. Like this dude is an absolute freak show. I mean, like mm-hmm. even even by Georgia standards, this kid is a freak show. He might be the next Aaron Judge, but you know, six six two twenty five. Um, Incredible. Number one player in Arizona, number one tight end in the country. Uh, it feels like Georgia is trending heavily for him. I know in Dog Central that that you mm-hmm. know we feel that way. Jason has had some great updates on him over the last couple months. Uh, 
And then you get Walker Lyons in the fold, who was a Stanford commit. Um, he is, uh, you know, uh, Church of Latter-day Saints. So, uh, you know, LDS goes on the Mormon mission. Uh, so he probably would be a couple years down the road from enrolling. But another, you know, freaky, big, long, athletic tight end. Like, And I think we'll, we'll do some op- some fun stuff this offseason and really, like, get into some nitty gritty film stuff and talk about these two tight end sets further because what George is doing is really, it's kind of revolutionizing offense in a, a certain way on the college level. And they're, they're doing something that no one else is really doing. And um, because of that, there's not yeah. obvious answers that have been put on tape yet. Yeah, so here's what here's what happened just real real quick, and we're gonna we'll break this down at some point in the future. We're already running at time for this show, but real quick, what's happened in college football is there used to be the physical football. It was the Mount Cody. It was those guys that Kirby Smart built at Alabama, uh, and then all of a sudden teams started spreading spreading you out, right? So now all of a sudden teams, you know, defenses got leaner, they got faster. It was we want to, you know, we've got to cover um, the spread, we got to cover the air raid, we got to cover, you know, all these guys, right? Well, what Kirby Smart has done, and Todd, Todd Munkin and Todd Hartley is they have found this profile of large, fast, physical guys who can who can run routes, who can catch the ball, who can block. And you still have defenses that are built to start to stop the spread situation. And you got these undersized linebackers. You got guys who they're athletic, but they can't, but they can't hang with a 6'6, 225, um, 225 guy. And uh, and that's you know, that's what's I think is revolutionary about what what they're doing at Georgia that they're not doing in many other places. Yeah, absolutely. Um that's well said. And, you know, the last recruiting thing I'll say is just uh, Georgia is trending pretty heavily for Dylan Rayola, who is, you know, like maybe the best quarterback prospect we've seen since Trevor Lawrence. I don't know. Like, he's, he's one of those dudes. I mean, like, he's a surefire number one quarterback in his class. Um, I don't think there's yeah. any question that he's a better quarterback than, you know, he's a better prospect, I should say, than Arch Manning. Um, what if, you know, life comes full circle and because Georgia didn't land Arch Manning, they get to land Dylan Rayola and then they get Man. to beat the snot out of Texas with him for the first couple of years they come into the SEC. I mean, Georgia- dude, I, I don't know. It's 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 wild yeah. times to be a Georgia fan, man. It's crazy. It, it is wild. I will say that Dylan Rayola, if, if you haven't, um, if you haven't seen him, go check him out. He is uh, – if Georgia is able to land Rayola, he's absolutely uh, the best – I will say – I mean, he's the best quarterback prospect that Georgia will have landed in, in Georgia history and probably the best uh, quarterback prospect um, in the last – you know, yeah, Trevor Lawrence maybe the maybe the, the one that was maybe equal. Like the guy is – Absolutely, and it just um, far and away. As as much as I love the quarterbacks that Georgia has in this room, as much as I love, you know, I loved when Justin Fields came to Georgia. Dylan Rayola yeah. is better than Justin Fields, like he just is, and um, and it's going to be incredible um, if Georgia is able to pull him in. And yeah, and on top of all that, you still have all of the stuff we were talking about earlier that Georgia is doing at the line of scrimmage. Um, like, I mean, like if Georgia lands him, mm-hmm. I mean, there's never anything, there's no such thing as a surefire anything in college yeah. recruiting, but like if Georgia lands him, uh, it, it may just be like a wrap for the rest of college football. I, what I, what I've said is if Georgia, if Georgia lands Dylan Rayola, Georgia is going to win three of the next five national championships. You're Georgia talking about might, in addition to the two they just won? In addition to the two they just won, five year the next five years, Georgia will win three out of the next five if they if they land Dylan Rayola. Now, the year you know, obviously it's hard to to go back to back, and it's hard to three peat and all these things. Um, but but Georgia will will have had Kirby Smart will have had five 
national championships in seven years if he's able to land Dylan Real. I really believe that. Um, kid's that good. Yeah, he's well, he's something different. Um, all right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you guys for joining us tonight. Uh, uh, as always, you can find uh, John on Twitter at John Tweet Sports. You can find me at Dog Out West. You can find both of us over at DogCentral.com. Uh, lots more nitty-gritty, in-depth updates and news on guys like Dylan Rayola and uh, Portal stuff and all of that type of <laughs> noise i'm sorry if you're listening to this on audio later i'm chuckling because we had a question come in and ask if kirby is on the hot seat if the dogs don't repeat and you never know man you know um what's the what's the saying said, you know like, yeah the, the, the saying is the key, right for blood yeah the key the key to happiness is lowered expectations and kirby has shot the expectations to the absolute stratosphere that so, is very uh, true. Yeah. So, this is like the anti-mark stoop situation yeah. right here at what point do you think kirby wakes up at his at his lake house on oconee and thinks like oh god now i gotta try to do this again <laughs> at what point uh, is he like is he like oh man we gotta go try to we, we now we can't take a step backward Kirby's too busy recruiting to to think yeah. about any of that. That's my theory. Too busy counting that eleven million a year too. That's exactly right. Um, guys, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for all of you who uh, has tuned in and followed along with us all season. Um, where you know, I think we uh, differentiate ourselves in a in a significant way is the content that we do during the off season. So I hope if you haven't liked or subscribed to our channel. Please do that. Please subscribe to the podcast feed on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and, you know, please, please come and check out Dog Central and the work that we're yeah. doing there. Um, ultimately, you know, uh, if you enjoy this type of content, then uh, you can you can support it. And that helps us make more of it. So uh, thank you all. And, and also a giant thank you to John. Uh, it's kind of our first season doing this together and it's been a real yeah. blast and I'm looking Great. forward to, to many more. Yeah. We'll be back with some, uh, we'll be back with some film the next uh, week or so. And we'll be back talking portal 2023. Uh, all of those all things. Of yeah. And before you know it, it'll be spring game. So um that's right. We'll so have film to break hey, down. Hey, we might even pop in here and talk some Georgia basketball. Shout out Mike White. Um, That's true. Mike White, 12 and 4, 10 and 0 in the steg. We are going to talk some Georgia basketball for we sure. Will. All right. With that, see you guys later. <laughs>